Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the Last Wonder of the Belief podcast, episode number six, where we will be talking about the Bible. And this week, I have the great pleasure of being the host to my eminent guest, Pignonosis. Hello there, Dipri. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Now, we, as I say, we'll be discussing the great enigma of the Bible, the book. The book that seems to be in the centre of so much again and again, a mystery. And my guest here is perhaps the greatest living breaker of history. Cause I'm TNT, I'm dynamite. A man that stands on the shoulders of the giant that is John Le Bon and his primary research method methodology, but one that has taken on in great leaps and bounds. How does that sound for an introduction for you, TNG? Um, <laughs> oh, it's a bit humbling, to be honest. <laughs> I, and, and I, I, I do have to say, and and you know what, whatever's been said in in this in our podcasts and um, around the server and wherever else um, about JLB, I do want want to just caveat and say that I am very very grateful for coming across his work and the man himself and where that's led me to obviously we're going to be talking quite a bit today about that but uh i i, I cannot uh i cannot compliment him enough for for the inspiration he gave me to look into the history oaks and it's made a, a big big difference to the way i think about the world that's for sure so uh, back to you. You're the boss. Well, I, I would like to concur that because I have some disagreements with JLB on things which probably in the great scheme of things aren't as important as I like to think about. But his primary research me methodology is uh, a key insight that he had into researching sceptically the mechanisms of the system that we find ourselves into. So it's especially in that regards and the work that he did from it, which so he didn't just come up with the idea. He showed the fruits of what researching that matter does. So everyone who is interested in these kind of things has a lot to thank John Le Bon for. That the people around you are not really paying that much attention. So what else are they missing? What else are you missing? Are you willing to go back to the start and reconsider things? And so in the case of ancient Egypt, We've got people saying that they know, they think they know what was happening in that part of the world two, three, four thousand years ago. And they think they know what the ancient Egyptian mythology was. Well, maybe you do, but have you checked the sources? If you take the time to check the sources for some of these stories, you'll find that a lot of them trace back to a thing called Oxyrhynchus, the Oxyrhynchus papyri that were discovered by Grenfell and Hunt. The Oxyrhynx papyri is a collection of papyri uh, excavated uh, from the rubbish dumps of the ancient city of Oxyrhynchus. This was done by two young Oxford scholars in the late uh, 19th and early 20th century, the names of Bernard Grenfell and Arthur Hunt. 
and then after an agreement with the local antiquity service brought the papyri to England, actually deposited them at Oxford, uh, where they have been ever since. But let's get to it. So a bit like This Is Your Life, TNG, where they appeared with a great big book, but it wasn't the Bible. I'd like to just take you back to what I think is your first Breaking Religion article on the 31st of July, 2019. And at the start of your work, you put a disclaimer, which I will read to you. And then I'd just like you to explain for the listeners how much, obviously, when you made this, you'd already been looking into the history hoax through John's work and through your own research. But so it wasn't, this isn't year dot. But I was wondering how much of what you said here you still agree with and how much you disagree with. So, quote, I am not religious. I'm investigating the truth about the history of this earth. Religion, we are told, goes back thousands of years, no matter which of the traditional paths we look at. I do not believe the earth is old. I do not believe mankind has been here in this realm longer than a few hundred years. I do, however, believe in a creator, and in that we can all agree. End of quote. What are your thoughts, TNG? Okay, I mean, there's quite that's quite a packed uh, little paragraph, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there's a lot. Sure. But I, I have to say that the main core of it is I still hold to. Um, if I go to the end about belief in a creator, I, I still do believe in a creator, but that really goes hand in hand with my own um, spiritual path, which you and obviously uh, members of my site are quite aware of my experiences now um, on the spiritual side, which is not religious to my mind whatsoever. So I have a bit of an insight into, uh, let's just say, the the spiritual nature of the reality that we're living. But uh, when I say I'm not religious, I don't think... I can I can honestly say that I've never really been religious, although I have. When I was a little boy, I was very, very taken and I should say maybe even overwhelmed by the stories of Christ. And I hold my hand up. Um, I was completely, you know, I, I sat there as a young lad and I, and I used to read the Gospels. And, you know, I was a prolific reader. I always have been. But uh, the Gospels was one thing I, I did read an awful lot of. And I and I did go to Sunday school. Um, but I did realise, and as time went by, as maybe I got into my teens, that uh, religion wasn't for me. And uh, taken by NASA and all the other kind of scientific dross that we've all been deceived with. Um, kind of pulled me away as well. But yeah, to, to put it in a nutshell, religion for me is a control system. And whether that be the Christian religion, whether that be you know any other kind of what a person thinks of as a religion is a control system. And obviously the what's known as scientism today. So, uh, you know, coming from the ball earth model science and, and all that that's uh, infesting our world as we speak um, with all the all the nonsense that's going on 
you know, on the uh, health side of it. It's all interconnected and it's all a big religious cult as far as I'm concerned. And that's my main problem I have really with religion is that it's it is a it is no matter what particular shade it is <laughs> they're all a cult and they they all uh, use the same techniques they have the priests and they have their dictates and it's always um they're the wise ones they're they're the ones with the knowledge they're the ones talking to god and you don't uh, you know nothing peasant basically <laughs> You dirty little sinner. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the only other part of that paragraph, obviously, is the uh, I do not believe the earth is old. I still, I still pretty much hold to that. I think the timeline is completely skewed out of all recognition. I, I do not, um, you know. Uh, the thing is with geology and things like this. Again, it's intermingled with the scientism. And and the deception that we've that we've all come across over the years, and uh, you know I can throw that out. Um, there's no denying that the Earth itself, you know, who knows how old the Earth actually is. I mean, when I when I really in that quote, what I should have caveated was is I do not believe the human race is uh, is. You know, I've said it. Though, what did I put? I didn't believe mankind has been in yeah. this realm longer than a few hundred years. Um, maybe the Earth is old. I, I'm, I, I, I just don't know. I can't. I can't say. Obviously, there's uh, people like Yiggy on on my Discord server who has come up with some right interesting finds regarding the terrain, and uh, people like True Thirty Four as well, and. You know, there's all sorts going on out, out there on the terrain that uh, defies everything that we're told. So it, it, we just don't know. And, and, and you know, I hold my hand up. I, we just do not know if the earth is, you know, how old the earth is. So uh, I, the only other thing I would inject into this, though, is with this um, hand in hand with the creator as well. Is because I know obviously we're going to be touching on the Bible uh, and whatever, and I, I do kind of separate off um, when I when I think of a creator or a, a force, as it were, that that um, is responsible as the source for for all for everything. Uh, I, I don't quite so see as a uh, you know a conscious beardy man waving his hand and. Uh, you know, <laughs> talking things into existence like a big Gandalf. It just I, that that is not my idea of of creation at all. I think everything. I think there is some kind of source, and it and everything flows from that source and ingredients and whatever whatever is in between us and that source, because there clearly is. Um, is giving us some big problems at the moment, that's for sure. <laughs> I almost mentioned at the beginning that I thought this may be one episode where in general we agree, but by the end of it there may be some differences. But so far, everything you said, your commentary on what you said, I pretty much subscribe to. I would make a suggestion when you were talking about 
being uncertain about how old the earth is, we can't know. It might be, we can know that the stories don't go back. The hit, like our history is in his stories, don't go back more than a few hundred years, but the earth itself may well. So uh, that might be a way of putting it. When you said you were overwhelmed by the stories of Christ and the gospels in your childhood, that was something that resonated very strongly with me, but it didn't happen to me until my twenties. Um, and I think this is something we may get back to about the Bible in a more broader discussion, that this ability that this book seems to have, the power it has to overwhelm people in this way. And in some ways we can end up putting down our defenses or our skepticism. And there's some links to it, I think, with what happens to people with synchromysticism in Hollywood movies and such. And it may well be that <laughs> the same the same people <laughs> seem to be behind both of them. <laughs> um, and just my last little comment was when you talked about the creator. I'm I'm very I'm very hard on God and <laughs> and the creator and all these things. But again it's something I'll get into later. But I, I it's interesting to me that you brought up the word source. So in some Christian theologies, well, it's not really in theology, some monastic writers, they differentiated between things like making and creating. And they said that there is something which makes things, as in, but then there's other people that come along and take that and then create from it. So if you can have clay, and if you mold clay, you didn't make the clay, but if you mold it, you then create something from that clay. Um, and you use the word source, which is very interesting to me, because I view the creator in the sense I just described as in taking something that was already there and molding it, doing something with it, manipulating it. I view that creator as evil and my enemy, but you may not be, when you use the word creator, you may be using it in the exact way that I'm talking about the thing, which isn't that bad thing. So there's always a slight problem with the words we apply to this thing. Source is to me a very interesting word, right? So that would be where the clay flows from. So almost like the actual, not the creator, but the maker, the essence, the source of the essence of it. And I think there's something there with what the problem is with this place, is it's that source which is being corrupted, like it's being diverted off, or someone's someone's pissed at someone's pissed in the river or something. If you if you get it pissed in the well, you get what I mean. And one other thing, when you said about your spiritual path, I find that extremely interesting. And I would almost say you're following. So you're being empirical and skeptical in your researching the external world and sources and documents, but your spirituality sounds to me like an empirical spirituality it isn't based on what you're being told by authorities, although you can look at those as you wish, but your spirituality is empirical. It's based on things that you experience both in your inner world and also on the outer world. So, I think that is the correct path for spirituality, which is something it seems that humans need, is it's still empirical. And so there is a good grounding for it. On that last point, just about empirical spirituality, does that sound kind of like a good w way of looking at how you view spirituality? Certainly, it does. I mean, again, it goes back to the definitions of spirituality as well, doesn't it? that they're all wrong 
Yeah. All, all of them. Oh, I think there was 24 definitions and, and the, none of them are right. And what it comes down to for me is, is that even though I really don't like talking about it so much because I feel it's, it's my own mm-hmm. personal journey and my own personal path. But uh, as I documented in my, I think it was the third Spirits video and in my Spirits 2 article, that I made, um, I, I talked about uh, doing some healing and I was trained in doing some healing uh, in, in this mediumship course that I was doing. And it was it was that section, it was that part of, of that training, as it were, that uh, I actually feel I actually may have connected to what you call or what what we're terming as source and from a spiritual point of view and when i look at uh, the human race as a whole uh, forgetting everything else and whatever might be crawling around out there um it's almost like to me is is that that source uh, it may be that mankind has always had the ability to connect to that source but they just forgotten how to do it and that is uh, maybe maybe and maybe we might talk about some of this later um and obviously i don't want to deviate too much off track on what this podcast is actually about but obviously what i'm finding in my latest work and some of the uh, the things i've been finding on footage and whatever else is indicating that there are things out there that are imitating man and i have to ask the question is is that if there are things out there that are generally in control of this place above man and i get my thoughts right also um you know possibly uh may be able to transcend some of the physical laws that man is bound by um it makes you wonder why uh they imitate man why not just be open and walk around why are they so scared to uh why you know why do they hide and i think that the connection to source thing may just be one of the answers to that well, what you made me think of is what I just put in the end of my article I just released, where I, I take someone else's quote, but I adapt it into, an, I'm putting it in an idealist sense, is when man becomes subject to a material world of objects, he forgets the freedom and one could add the power that he once had, which would come from source. And so by hiding themselves, they don't remind us of something that we know, so we keep being forgetful but tingy let's we'll get back on track for the for the listener yeah. okay we'll, we'll get but this is these are things i find the most fascinating uh the first things that you published was you looked into um the history of the text of the major religions and originally you thought the viking was the oldest but by the end of your research it looks like your basic schemata you have is the the oldest hindu texts about 1784 then the Viking text not long after, about 1797. 
then um, JLB on his research on the Bible has it in the mid 1800s. And at this point, you are pretty much following him because we haven't got to the Gutenberg research yet. And then the Quran in the mid to late 1800s. Um, and also you, in the slightly later work, you see that these things seem to be finding their source in Germania. So that basic order of the texts and its source in Germania, is that pretty much where you still are on that? Yes, uh, but I th it's the, the thoughts of Germania. And I know I, <laughs> this goes back to the thoughts of the, of the white race and World War II and all, all these things that uh, I think we've been given as not as as they happened to be honest and the, the whole schematic of it seems to me to play back into the old testament so i uh where <laughs> i have to explain my explain myself as in as in it's you're almost sound, you're sounding like an anti-semite to me now there, yeah you? well it almost <laughs> exactly exactly well it, or, or, or rather or rather not because it's almost like it plays into the germanians being the israelites as it were so that's kind of the feeling that i that I'm, i i get from the whole flow of it but i, I can't I, what i can't Sorry, I can't. What I can't get in my mind is the, the so the the Old Testament itself, the the very basis for it. And I know we're going to talk about it later, the timeline for it, whatever. It it's it doesn't make sense if you see what I'm saying. Even even though it tra everything you know, I'm saying it tracks back to well, let's call it Germany and. The nor what we'd call the northern tribes. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure the Vikings as a as a thing is complete nonsense, to be honest. Um, but maybe some of the ideas in there are true. But uh, I mean, the main reason I would say again that the Vikings, I think it was actually 1795. But why I think the Vikings were nonsense was the fact that it was the Jesuits that made it appear to have made it up and uh, so if, if it's not um, the royal societies and whatever going around which again are all connected back to the royal family which connects back to the vatican and the catholic church again which connects to the bible yeah so it, it all goes around in one big <laughs> yeah. one big stinking circle basically so right. so there is something there, there is something there, and, and the other thing I'd add to the timeline is, which is very interesting to me, because he probably wouldn't have picked it up because uh, there was some scattered history oaks research amongst a few of my other articles, and the oldest text I've actually come across is the Book of Enoch. Ah. Now the Book of Enoch, I think you just gave the Bhagavad Gita or whatever, whatever, whatever date you gave for that. Obviously, off the top. Seventeen eighty-four. Right. So it. if you track back eleven years, so uh, that should give you the Book of Enoch's date. So and I find that 
quite uh, revealing as well because we all know what the Book of Enoch is talking about. I find that very interesting. And what you were talking about with Germania as well, because I want to get on to Carl Jung next. But if anyone hasn't read Carl Jung's uh, book, Third Reich Pilgrim Ghostlands, I find that it's a fascinating book about how him going on a pilgrimage around Germany and trying to understand what happened in the Second World War and being puzzled as how they could have lost and seeing that it seems that all the the things that were turned against the German people were the great things of German industry and chemicals and all the people who came up with everything were Germans in this incredible puzzlement. And if we take it back to what you were saying about these people who seem to be masquerading as man, I think because Carl Jung was so puzzled by it, perhaps what he didn't understand was it wasn't the German people or the Northern European race or the white race as such doing it to themselves. But they were like we perhaps are now, they were run by these people masquerading as Germans. And yeah. that he put in the frame, the, and I think that maybe is what's missing from Carl Jung's understanding. But I'll, I think we'll just get to him a bit more in a second. But I just thought it linked to what you were saying. But just with the texts, the other thing that's obviously interesting, and again, this link back to Germania, and that we both said how the way that Christ is presented in the Gospels has both at one point been very overwhelming for us. So in the Hindu texts, we know we have Krishna. And you mentioned in your article, he's the God of compassion and tenderness and love. In the Vikings, we have Odin and Odin hangs on the tree. And then the tarot, we see him upside down, basically on a cross is the hanged man. The Bible, obviously Christ is there. And he's a figure of co-suffering love and compassion and kindness. And then we have in the Quran, where it's perhaps slightly different, but it still is a German link. Like Hitler said that he thought the Islam would have been the best religion for the German people. And Christ there is, is still there as a character and he comes back at the end of the world as a warrior to vanquish you know, the foes of mankind. So there is this, this link where it's almost like it's Odin or Krishna going through all of these religions and going back to Germania. And you have pointed out that Christ can be seen as symbolizing man so i thought that was all quite fascinating yeah i mean just just to to interject in there and even though this is i said about the book of enoch being what i apparently is the oldest text i've found but obviously the, what the book of enoch talks about is obviously fallen angels mm -hmm. now there's a lot of myths and stories around. I mean, putting the Book of Enoch aside, there's a lot of myths and stories and woven into fiction. And um, when you say about Christ and um, all the other mirror images of it throughout the different religious texts and, and this guy's been crucified, I have picked up on over the years um that the same kind of myth is going through the fallen angel thing. So this group of fallen angels that's supposed to have uh, took and took and take, <laughs> taken, <laughs> taken womankind and mixed with them had a, a leader 
And the leader, I think, from, if I remember right, was it Shem Yaza or something like this? He's got a, a strange name or Sem Yaza or something. And it's, and he was apparently or supposedly punished uh, and hung upside down <laughs> on, on Orion, on the stars of Orion. Uh, yeah, <laughs> until he escaped again. So I, it, it's all, uh, it seems to me that it's almost like, you know, good or bad, they're putting the same spin on the stories throughout. Well, it's all I, very strange. It's probably it, something, again, for the end, but I, I, I do wonder if a lot of this is just mockery. And like people like RMP point out that um, the people we know today as the Jews, Sometimes that some of the rabbis will say that they are from another place and they're from aliens and not from this place. I actually wonder if it isn't, you know, the Anglo-Saxons, the Germanic people who aren't from this place. And that's the reversal of the story. And we're the ones who have been <laughs> sent down to this place to hang on the cross whilst we're here. And the whole thing's a mockery. But that's probably, I'm running ahead. But Carl Jung and the Gutenberg Bible so when you started researching the Gutenberg Bible in the beginning of your article, you say when you started it, you were with Carl Jung as viewing the Gutenberg Bible as the, the oldest or the original Bible. And as you get to the end, you find something maybe a little bit different, but could you maybe just talk us through, I think, mean, just an overview of what the journey yeah, how you started off seeing the Gutenberg Bible and how you ended up seeing it. You don't maybe have to go into every detail, but like a, an overview of how you saw it. Well, Carl Jung, um, he's, I mean, God, he's a very clever, clever man. And some of the things he looked into, one of the big things he made light of was the printing press itself. And obviously when you're thinking about the bible uh the word and all that it all seems to me to play hand and glove into the printing press because uh, this again again this is something we're going to be talking about anyway but it, it all fits hand and glove with civilization so w without the printing press i hold um even though I've had people like Salzburg Gold might pipe in and say that um, communication amongst the civilization, you know, maybe was done through uh, preachers and whatever else through through a church system. But for me, the the main thing with a with a civilization, a big one with you know, comprised of multi millions of people um, spread out across the earth. Um, the only way to uh, keep control of these people or hold the minds of these people um, would have been through something like the, the printing press. And it was from that kind of idea where I thought, well, that's kind of hand in hand together, the, the religious side and, and, the, and the, the printing press itself. And bearing in mind that the Gutenberg Bible, it wasn't the first book obviously printed on the printed press it was certainly the most important but it was one of the first books that was printed so 
it's uh, yeah, it, it all seemed to play hand in hand, and and also with the uh, Carl Jung's work itself, and and also looking into my own looking into legends of Germania, which played into the Viking kind of Norse type legends and things like this of Thor, um, the you know the story of 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 the Norse gods and the symbology of the swastika and all these kind of things all kind of played hand in hand to me and which really did lead me to start thinking that well maybe the the Gutenberg Bible was the was the start of it but as time has gone by it wasn't just my work in this article itself that that broke me free of that I think it was also looking into the legal system as well and I think working on the looking at the legal system, which again plays into some of my other articles as well that I've done. Um, so when you combine the legal system with the Bible, <laughs> as you would and as you as you should, um, it kind of gives you the picture of who really is behind what's what's going on here. You know, who's the main culprit? So and and uh, to be honest, that it's pretty obvious. Once I started looking at the Gu the Gutenberg sources, because obviously the Gutenberg Bible is a Vulgate Bible, and obviously the Vulgate is Catholic. It is the the Vatican's Bible. Then that's pretty much telling you all you need to know, really, and who's uh, who's holding the reins of power, and even to this day. Um, I'd say that is the case. Just for full disclosure, I replied in the original podcast to TNG uh, confirming that I agree with him because I've called the Bible the old telescreen and about how it was, the technology was necessary for controlling a larger amount of people over a large area. But then... Some, something came to me as I was editing and it reminded me of my old days being in the Orthodox Holy Liturgy, the Holy Communion service. And the liturgies, although they differ, are have the same structure in the old, or at least the older Vatican services and Anglican. And I'm including a link below to the little entrance of the gospel at the Orthodox Holy Communion service. And if you watch it, what you'll see is just before the gospel is going to be read, the priest picks it up from the altar, and then there's a parade out of a side door of the altar, and the priest carries the gospels above his head, and he's led by the deacon and by altar servers in their best clothes, holding candles and fans. And it goes inside the church around it and comes back around to in front of the holy doors, the main entrance to the altar. And the choir is very singing very slow and solemn and beautiful music. And the procession stops in front of the holy doors. And either the priest or the deacon holds it above his head and says, Wisdom, let us attend. And then there's more singing as he, as the procession goes into the altar. The priest then comes back out and he reads it on a stand. And it's covered in gold, usually, the Gospels. And there's he's attended by all the altar servers 
as he as the gospel comes out, everyone in the congregation who is sitting will also stand up. So everyone's standing as through the reading, like when a teacher comes into the room, you stand before when the teacher's there, you don't sit in front of them. And if you watch the video, you'll see how it's kind of functioning as the script to a movie that's being put on for the people. So it's this older form of telescreen. So in the matrix, the there's a there's an idea being put to the audience but it's involved in all the visual effects the sound effects the cool music the actors are wearing certain clothes and that's the modern telescreen where people go to like the imax to watch it for the full experience where you can have the bible at home but you go to church and when people's lives are more drab the churches were often full of refinery and regalia and people would say it was like seeing heaven come down to earth and I was talking to TNG about this after the podcast, and he said it sounds like a massive mind-washing operation. And that's it's really what it is. And all of these services, the Orthodox, the Vatican, and the Anglican liturgy are completely, well, not completely, but almost all biblically based. And it's not just in the words, but in the symbology. They're playing, they're acting out scenes from the Bible. There are syncs there that would make the average synchronistic's mind explode. There is layers upon layers upon layers. And you, like, for years I was attending these day in, day out. And you are constantly finding new connections and symbology. So with the Bible in this regards functioning much the same way now people don't go to the cinema much but they have a television in their home and this constant programming about what whoever is behind these things be it television or movie or the bible want to constantly push into people's minds and the liturgy changes all the way throughout the year as well there's different things for different times of the year which are going to get impressed upon you so yeah tng got it right down when he said when I'm suggesting the Bible is also the script for the bigger telescreen on the old form that's being done, he's right. It was a it's a complete mind washing operation. Um, but I'll just get back to the to the original podcast now. But what <laughs> watch that video below. So I bring us back to the Gutenberg. Anyone who's done history, primary source history research, like us. You find the threads unraveling <laughs> and it's a real it's a real journey and your mind is trying to hold it all in some of the most interesting things that you found is that the gutenberg is known as the b42 and the yeah. symbology of 42 in the underworld and then how that links to the legal system the other fascinating thing that i think that you found was that the one remaining written copy original on vellum on pigskin is in the washington dc library of congress mm. and the providence only goes back to 1930. then you find that the oldest source which the gutenberg is meant to be a translation of is after when the gutenberg bible was supposedly published and you get to the mishmash and I think that's the word you use. And it's almost like the Bible in itself. When you look into the historical sources, you get, you start getting, everything just gets twisted and 
and it's it's just like the mystery of the Bible. But I think we both found that when you're doing it, there always seems to be this one thing which stands out where you just see the absurdity. And in this case, it's the the translation that the Gutenberg Bible is supposedly based on. <laughs> it's a funny old thing, history of research. It's absolutely mental, to be honest, every time. Uh, and, and the stories as well, the, the stories about how the texts are found, and who you know who's finding them it is it's like a carbon copy nearly every time you know these things found in rubbish tips or rubbish piles and some <laughs> some monk's rubbish pile or something like this it's just absolute nonsense every time and I, I your mind just closes in on it on itself when you when you you think about the, you know what they're actually telling you here but yeah, you know the the oldest the oldest complete Vulgate text discovered in 1786. You know <laughs> how, how, is, <laughs> how is that even possible? You know, it's just crazy. And I mean, you know, this plays into um, you mentioned Jalby earlier, and Jalby looked at the um, the KJV. Bible, I think, and also the is it Codex Vaticana, Vaticanus or Vaticanus? I oh think yeah, it is. yeah. And that's what he traced back. Or one of the main pieces he tracked back to the middle of the eighteen hundreds. So it's you know that that little time period between the end of the seventeen hundreds going all the way you know up to the middle of the eighteen hundreds is certainly the time of you know something was going on with this bible <laughs> at that at, in that time period and 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 then when you you know you mentioned earlier the timeline for you know things like uh, you know the muslim religion for the the quran and things like this and they seem to be you know after the bible timeline you know, just maybe by 20, 30, 40, even maybe 50 years in some cases. But it's, uh, it is quite a mind blower, that's for sure. And I know some <laughs> some people could be listening or will be listening to this who maybe, uh, you know, devout Muhammad followers or things like that. And uh, and their, their minds will probably be breaking with some of the things that we could be saying. So yeah, but uh, you know, I just go back to my uh, disclaimer: is that you know, religion is control. Yeah. No matter, no matter what, what you, no matter what you you think, pal, whoever you are yeah. out there, it, it's a control. And if the, if you ever want any more evidence of this, then just go and have a look into the primary sources for your for your religious texts, and then you'll think you'll re, you'll realise that that's the case. Religion is control, whether it's to do with the spiritual side or whether it's to do with the material side in the religion of bloody Stephen Hawkins or whatever. It's still it's still religion, both sides of it. Um, and the. Uh, the other thing I thought was very interesting you said about when this started, like late 1700s, and it moves on to this period, the Victorian period, but it's all the stuff's coming out. I am very influenced by German idealism, and that's exactly when it started, and it led through to Schopenhauer. And there's some links there, which 
I will be telling the listeners about when I finally get around to re researching an article. And the other very interesting thing is how this links to the conspiracy world. So first of all, you talk about when this stuff keeps appearing and then, you know, in the 20th century, mid 20th century, the Gnostic texts appear. And then all the conspiracy world is suddenly saying, oh, this is the original texts and this is the way we should be understanding the Bible. But no one <laughs> looks at the primary sources to find out that it just appeared just the other day. And it's obviously there to corral both sides, which then takes us, you were saying, it could be like a Mohammedan listening or there could be a devout Christian listening and they won't like what we're saying or have their minds blown. But this one area in particular and the history hoax, a lot of people can't cope with. And I think find the most, the people who tend to find, have the biggest difficulty, and again, we're not saying that man isn't definitely older or the earth isn't, or these things on the terrain, like these melted buildings aren't older, but the stories are very recent. And the people who have the biggest problem, not with the terrain being older or man, but with the stories are the religious folk. Yeah, And that, I think, is added evidence that they can follow all the hoaxes and the conspiracy. But when it comes to religion, that that's when they're not going to look at any anymore. And that must, I think that is ev more evidence about the control structure in place that comes from religion. And I think more than anything, most maybe... It, it's different because we're in a traditionally Christian country. Maybe it'd be different if we're in India, but at least for the European peoples, coming to the hoax area of the Bible is when it really, people do not like it and are going to push back the most. What say you? It is. It's absolutely mind-melting. You know, just going back to my, you know, my comment from... The beginning of this saying that you know i was taken by the stories of christ and even though i would say I, you know I, I wouldn't ever as your experience dave way overshadows mine with religion and you know um being I say sucked into it yeah. as it were captivated yeah captive. Um, but you know even even to this day i still you know, will read some of the Gospels and the words that have been portrayed by, you know, have supposedly said by this man called Christ. And you read, you know, what's there. And it, it actually gladdens the heart, some of the things that are said. And, you know, it, it's essentially it's common sense, you know, in a in a quite simple form, really, a lot of it. So, you know, it, it's it's that resonation of of you know what what's there and and the way it's been twisted to capture your mind is is pretty it's pretty evil stuff to be honest to me. Just to finish off the uh, history bit, and and I think this is quite an important thing to just uh, say from my article on the uh on the gutenberg hoax article was the part that i just want to um put across to people is that uh the oldest because we're obviously talking about the 
the Old Testament uh, and the oldest text for the uh, for the Old Testament is called the Leningrad Codex and this mysteriously appeared in the Ukraine in around 1838 and it was handed over to uh, the Imperial Library in St. Petersburg. I've got here on my article here as well. But it's just that <laughs> this one little nugget of information was that uh, the one who found or supposedly found this text it was never given any or never gave any reason where he found it, where it appeared from, where it came from. But this oldest text of the new of the Old Testament, sorry, was found by what people would refer to as a chosen person <laughs> from the Old Testament. So his name was Abraham or Abraham or Avraham. Ben Samuel Ferkovich, who <laughs> lived from 1787 to 1874. And this guy is responsible. And there's a little picture of him on my article as well. And he does look kind of like uh, Saruman with a fat face and nose. And uh, yeah, looks a bit like a wizard to me, Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs>